this worker. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's on. <laughs> Sorry. Come on. Go on. Hey, everybody. It's Swan. You've never heard of her before. Um, oh, <laughs> uh, so I am grew up in here, Minneapolis. Um, as I mentioned earlier, when there was no, no cameras rolling, um, my dad's a white guy from Wisconsin. My mom is, uh, from Ghana. She's, uh, immigrated here in the eighties right before I was born. So I was born down in Texas, uh, in Houston and my brother and I, and my family moved up here to Minnesota when I was three. So I always wanted a t-shirt that said, um, Born in Texas, raised in Minnesota by a Ghanaian lady and a white guy from Wisconsin who also happens to be a yogi. So that can give you like a brief prelude of like the, my life that I have lived. <laughs> um, yeah, so I decided to start a podcast uh, off of a lot of the work that I'm doing through my unfiltered reality brand. And then um, under that, I'm called Coach Swanshine. Uh, so that's what I was mentioning earlier is I got a nickname at a tech startup from some guys because my name is spelled S-U-A-N and they started calling me Swanshine off of my sunny disposition. <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah, and I mean, the best nicknames you do not give yourself. So uh, I'm just going to hold on to that one. So yes, so my podcast has three pillars, uh, body balance and business because somehow I've managed to get in, to become a six-figure consultant Um you know, without a master's degree, um, in my twenties, I boxed it. I boxed powerlifted, um, worked out like a crazy person. So I know a ton about, um, physical fitness, my degrees in structural kinesiology and biology. And then I grew up with a yogi for a dad. So he like at a very young age, I grew up in this, I felt like hippie Christian church. It's my siblings and I call it because it was Christianity, but they're like, Oh, Buddha's cool. You guys heard about meditation and like alming and chanting and all this stuff. And that's what I grew up with through my like middle school to high school years. All of this like wellness stuff that's becoming so popular now. People are like, have you ever heard of meditation? And I was like, my dad was a yogi. So I was taught to meditate when I was like five. So yeah. Yeah. yeah I, Crazy how it's it. gotten so popular. People are so, um, people are starting to embrace their stress that we have been holding in for so many millennia here. You know, it's all boiling over and people need an escape. They can't go, can't go anywhere. <laughs> and it cannot. And it's funny. Like, I feel like I also uh, helped me survive my perfectionism because I started having really bad depression when I was, ooh, I probably like puberty, you know, like 15, 16 years old. And a lot of it was based on perfectionism, but I also realized a lot of it was based off of um, not having an integrated identity. And feeling like I was being forced to define myself in different ways, depending on different environments. And a lot of that has to do with a lot of the anti-blackness that's in Minnesota that I didn't really understand until yeah. I got a lot older. Yeah, it takes a while, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. We talk about that all the time. Is that better? Maybe it was me. No, it's no, it's not better. It, it's I think it's when... Go back to what your settings were before, Swan. There? Yeah, so I think when we are all, the three of us, muted and you're speaking, so just go ahead and say a couple, say a few things and then... My name is Swan. So I think that... Um, I heard it. You did, okay. Yeah, it was fine. 
I mean, it's fine now. She it's just, fine just, now. Right on. Well, that's okay. We can keep going. Yep. Um, Good. Not me. For once. <laughs> For once, we could take the heat off Big Germ. <laughs> no. So, anyway, back to what you were saying, Squad, about um, about um, the time it takes to figure out where you actually live living here. It is something that we 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 talk about quite often because, you know, every time we turn around, there's a, re- there's a reminder of where we live, you know? And, um, and being, you know, being Black here is, um, it's, 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 I don't, I can't say it's, it's becoming easier. It's becoming more tolerable, I think, anyway, because people are a little bit more apprehensive than to do stupid shit like they used to. I mean, what, what, what do you experience here? Like, you know, um, as a, as a, as a multiracial person here and then, you know, getting older here and everything like that, do you think things changing for the better or for the worse? Or are they just kind of flatlined right now? I think there's an awareness level shift that's happened over the last, I'd say, decade. But I also left and came back a couple of times. So growing up, my mom's family is definitely dominant in my life. And she comes from an upper class home in Ghana. So very well educated. Um, And what I realized is that when my mom came over to be with my dad, it wasn't out of necessity. Like she had basically her master's in nursing out of a a university in, in uh, London, she came here out of love and, you know, wanted to start a family with this guy and decided that she basically needed to build her own community around her. So when we, we moved up to Minnesota because to be closer to my dad's aging family, uh, and Minneapolis was, you know, the multiracial family capital of the world like at the time, like in the nineties, we were all like designer babies. Like, Ooh, do you see the little cute little Brown girl? Like can't tell what race she is. Um, so like growing up in that environment, <laughs> I'm glad I can make you laugh. Okay. Um, love it. You know, over here, <laughs> um, growing up around here, you know, it was, I guess it was like, there's so much positivity around being biracial and being the future that in combination with the fact that my mom had two of her brothers and one of her sisters immigrate over here in pretty quick succession. And they were like the closest thing I had to like other additional sets of parents and then other Ghanaian people joined in the community. And so I was basically cocooned by successful African family members who were primed to make sure that I would succeed. And also I didn't realize how much they sheltered me from the environment that I was being raised in. So when my mom, we would talk about race, she never called me black. She always would say, you are half African, you are Ghanaian and you are like American, like because your dad's a white American. Like you don't have to be defined by these one things. And what I'm also realized as I've gotten older is that the reason why she didn't want me to be defined as black is because people don't let you be more than just more than that. You have to like be black or like, or, or something else, right. Or not black and being African allowed like that, like ambiguity for people to be like, Oh, well tell me more. And I, as I get older, I just like to leave them confused more than anything. So I know, I know I asked you this before, but we go back to the, are you African-American or African-American? Mm-hmm. What would you say? What would you say? 
Uh, the way that I was taught to respond to that question growing up, which I think is the safest way my mom could help me manage that, was that I'm African American because my mom is literally an African immigrant and my dad is literally like a, I don't know, he's like fourth generation German immigrant. Um, so largely just like American. Yeah. And then my mom would differentiate it by culture. So when we referred to like, um, you know, uh, black Americans who had been here for generations, they were black American. We were African American and people would constantly try to integrate the two, but the, the cultures are so different that it was easier to make sure you differentiated between the two. Otherwise there were stupid questions. Like remember my mom moved here in the eighties. She was, she's a nurse. Um, she had to basically restart her education because her master's degree in London equated to like a associate's degree here it was ridiculous. But when she started at the nurse or she was at a nurse at uh, United in St. Paul, like she, she told me about a story of this lady asking her why she didn't speak like other black people. She's like, I was born and raised in Ghana. I went to college in London. I married my husband in Texas and I moved to Minnesota. So, and, and it's your fucking business. Why? <laughs> you don't speak like other black people. I heard that my entire life and I cannot tell you how boring it is. How boring is it that I, well, being a biracial person myself, being raised by two white people, um, that's always a very interesting road to hoe, especially because I refuse to call myself an African-American. I'm not. I'm not. I don't I don't adhere to that much like I don't adhere to any other pigeonhole that somebody could put me in. So I've always just responded to other check the box as other. <laughs> you, don't get to, you don't get to put me in black or this, that and the other thing. I'm just other. And that has, that's made me really happy over the years. <clears throat> barely, barely American. That's very true. I will definitely, <laughs> I will definitely adhere to that. Let's call ourselves borrowed Africans. We're just borrowed Africans. That's all, you know, this, this one shade thing, you know, we're not ambiguous enough to be African-American. <laughs> well, and the thing about my family too, is that like my mom is straight from Ghana. Like, I have family there. My, um, my 93 year old grandfather passed away uh, last summer and so last October we went there and he was head of our clan. So we have all this tri or this tribal pageantry and ceremonies that we went through. Uh, I'd never experienced before in my life, but I've never felt more African because of how important that part of my family is. And also how integral that was to me growing up with a strong sense of self, not to discount my dad's family at all, but they are like a classic American nuclear family that like, I don't know, just like Wisconsin. Need I say more? Like, just. Uh. Well, you're lucky to have, like, to have that present day. Like. No, it's, it's, in, it's in, it, you know what, the one thing that I've always thought, you know, through my whole life, growing up with a very sordid family, you know, connections, no, you know, not even taught how to love basically is that when I see, when I would see immigrant families, Africans come to our country they're, they 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 treat their children as if they 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 have a they have a, a plethora of things that they can get into, you know, like there's no limit or anything like that. But then you know sometimes us jaded ones that, that are here that were born and raised here, 
don't often have that insight because we don't have a lot of that community um, in our in our inner cities and wherever they choose to put us that decade. Yeah, um, nothing. Nothing, you know. And so I, I, I really like the fact that a lot of African families do actually do that. They have prom, prompted circumstance. They have celebrations. They have things for people's lives to 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 make sure that they, they feel welcome in the world. You know, so when you're when you're exposed to a place like the United States and I always say United States, I don't say America because that encompasses two continents. The United States is is, is its own like its own thing, you know, there's no other place in the world like this place. And it, and it, it becomes hard to be what you just described, you know, around your family here when you're black. I'm black, not African-American. Well, and, and I would say even in, within immigrant communities, my family is unique. Uh, we are very close in a healthy way. I, I attribute a lot of my family of like, I'm, I'm serially single. And I think a lot of that is because I don't put up with bullshit from any men because I have so many wonderful men that raised me and are there for me and have so many wonderful friendships because of the example that my, um, my dad and my uncles have set for me and like my cousins that are basically like my brothers and sisters, you know, it's when you, when you know how you should be treated and then you see all of the bullshit that happens, especially with like online dating and like this modern culture of like, I get what I want from you just because like I gave you a little it's uh, I'd rather be single. (laughs) (laughs) Smart, smart, smart young lady. Um, There is a, there's a, I mean, I don't know. Don't you guys agree? Like there is a, there's a, there's a pretty big divide in a lot of the cultures here. A lot of the black cultures, you know, as opposed to what we witness and what, and what they let their children witness, you know, I envy it sometimes, you know, Cause I want to be told that I can do whatever I want to do. I can be, I want to be told I, I can do whatever I can when I'm young and not have to tell myself later on in life so much. <laughs> Families are at war with it itself here. You know, nobody, nobody supports each other. Since. Yeah. I think that's across the board though. You can find that in any country, you know, I, I don't think that's, unique to Minnesota. I certainly don't think it's unique to the United States. I don't think it's unique to Blacks or to African Americans or to Laotian Americans or to anybody else, to be quite honest. I think what Minnesota lacks is a very concrete community of solid, just solid people who look out for each other, regardless of their race. And I think that it's even more fragmented when you look at people of color in this city who have been systematically fragmented and segregated. There's no, well, there's no black middle class in Minnesota. I mean, I've said this before and I'll say it again. There's zero, zero black middle class. I don't see a visible black middle class here like I do in say um, Atlanta or in Houston or in even Los Angeles. I see either a few very rich black people or a lot of very poor black people. I don't see a lot of community. I just don't see it here. And it could be that I'm raised in a way that the intersections don't necessarily bring me to this, but I don't see it. Jamar, you're fearing your brow. Do you have a different opinion? Uh, I I think it's, it's there, but they keep to themselves. That's my family. Like I, cause I remember growing up and people would be like, Oh, are you from like North of the city? And I was like, why would you think that? Like, it didn't even occur to me. Right. I grew up in Bloomington, you know, between Lindale and, uh, Lindale and um, 
Oh my God. Nicolet down by the river. Like my mom was the only, Oh, she was one of two black people on our street. And the other one was a black lady that lived in a pink house. So I'll never forget that. Um, and yeah, it was like our family. And I, I just remember like, think looking at the difference in how the black kids in my school lived compared to how we lived, which was a very, very middle-class, just kind of like humdrum life. And then a lot of them were mostly like in apartments and stuff. And I, I honestly like started equating race and culture to like certain economic statuses at a very young age because I was like, Oh, well my black friends just live in apartments. That's just what they do. But we're African. So we live in a house, right? Because as a kid, you start to draw patterns. You don't necessarily like identify those as good or bad. You just look for patterns. Well, did you see other African families living in houses too? Like the, the few that you, that you knew here. Because a lot of Africans actually do. I mean, a lot of African um, black people, African Americans, often have problems with African immigrants thinking that they have a better a better start. You know that they you know they because they have these educations that they got in their countries and things like that, or they have some way they have some railroad to a better education here that we we weren't given because we're the, the second hand, the second class, still second class citizens at our at our shade level, but. So that's why I asked that question, because, you know, it's easy to see that the difference between someone from another country and someone here, you don't have to be black to even see that, but it's more apparent when you're black, you know? I mean, in high school, I had a really good friends who were also immigrant families. So I think I'm more equated at like the immigrant families I knew mostly were in houses, but it was like multi-generational. And that's kind of how our house was too. Cause my parents didn't, they lived in a very modest house. We always had people staying with us. So that also became really normal to me. Like, oh, well you just have like multiple families in one house. That's just how, that's how you roll. But that's also how you get a leg up is by reducing your costs and like throwing in your lot with other people that are trying to do the same thing. So my, my, my mom's siblings, when they came over they lived with us for a number like for a year, however long they needed to get on their feet. And then they would move out and, you know, get their own spot. And then it was like rinse and repeat. That's how it should be done. <laughs> it is. That's how the Mexicans do it. Culture community. Yeah, East, Eastern don't. culture. Yeah, no. Americans don't. Americans can't. In fact, everyone I know who has kids can't wait for those kids to turn fucking 18. Okay, yeah. bye. <laughs> bye. Time Mom is begging me to have children and she's like, just have a baby. I don't even care if you're married or if you're in a relationship, really. I will help you take care of it. I will move in. I was like, thanks for the offer, Mom. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold out a little while longer. Thanks. My mom said that to me. She says, Mickey, why don't you have a baby? And I said, Are you kidding? I said, Are you out of your I said, I said, Are you out of your fucking mind? I said, have a baby and give it to you so you can fuck it up like you fucked me up. No, not gonna happen. <laughs> that was the end of that conversation. By the time I'm done with you, little it was fucking hilarious. It was actually hilarious, but I was just like, what is come on now? Come on, mom. No, never. Yeah, um, it's 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 true. Like like Big Germ said, we don't have a, people do stick to themselves in this country a lot. We 
I, I used to equate it to the fact that, you know, a lot of black people didn't have very much here. So we hoarded things, you know, um, you know, I grew up really poor in the West side of Chicago and we hoarded things, you know, you kept what you had, you know, you didn't, you didn't have anything to share, you know, and families, when you did, my mother would have a lot of people living in our house coming and going. I think that was when that generation died in my family. Cause when my mother died, nobody, you know, but when people were staying at our house, it's different when you got addicts in your family. Cause then you got these folks staying at your house and every and, and electronic shit grow legs. <laughs> you get your Christmas present stolen when you're five years old and shit like that. You get traumatized from that shit from a young age, you know. So I think a lot of it, a lot of it, it's it's a lot of families still wanted to do that kind of community, but communities are falling apart. When crack came along, shit in the black community here. So as crack came, it's like bye. Mm-hmm. Couldn't trust anybody anymore, you know. It was hard. That's when all brothers from Chicago came over. Yeah, well, you know, we put them all up here. Go <laughs> <laughs> to <in> Minneapolis. <laughs> so, so Swan, let me ask you this: What do your what do you what does your family back in Ghana have to say about what's going on in race relations in the United States? What do you talk about in terms of the way that black people here are treated or do you? I mean, I don't even know if you do, but what do they ask you about? I'm sure they probably had some questions or some comments about George Floyd and Ahmed Arbery or just anything regarding how black people are systematically pinged here in the United States. I mean, we don't have to go back to Ghana. Like my mom, she like routinely goes on like just rage angry like yelling fits about ah america why don't you like black people like so and this is like my entire childhood my mom is very very uh she's she's just very like confident and uh assertive and um, sometimes a little bit aggressive with her opinions but i mean rightfully so it's a very passionate topic uh so i've it's never been like hidden uh from me and you know, my family basically is here. My sister's um, in LA. My brother's here. I have cousins that live in Brooklyn. I have five cousins that live in Brooklyn, first cousins, and then, you know, family back in Ghana. And all of us are like, they're, they're legitimately like my siblings. So we all have these conversations together related to that. And uh, Google, stop. Sorry, my... <laughs> My home system is going crazy. <laughs> um, and we just have conversations about all of this on a consistent basis because it's just what you talk to your best friends about. And I, my cousin in Brooklyn, um, one of them, he's extremely successful at executive, started his own agency. Like just, I go to him whenever I need an opinion. And his response to George, the whole George Floyd situation was, who knew the revolution would begin in Minneapolis? Yeah. Like, Right. <laughs> like my cool, like New York cousins are all like, bro, we didn't know. <laughs> and I was like, we didn't know either. <laughs> like, yeah, no, we didn't fucking know. Yeah, and it keeps happening. And next thing I know, the fucking police station was on fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, my, uh, on my website, um, so I'm a writer. That's like a big part of like my work. And I have an essay called Privileged Minority. 
um, which talks about privilege from the perspective of like, from my perspective, from the perspective of my family and kind of like debunking all this bullshit around how, how privilege is this big, bad thing that you like, can't, it's almost like, a being, I don't know. It's like a bad word. It doesn't make any sense to me. So like my family, like when we talk about this stuff, we understand that we're looking at it from a position of privilege because we protect each other and because the way we were raised and because we could literally jump on a plane and go to Ghana if we wanted to. Um, there's, there's just a safety in knowing that no matter how hard you fall, somebody will pick you up and put you in a bed and you'll be safe and warm. Yeah. That's pretty great. Cause I don't think that necessarily happens so easily here. No at all not even in families with money like oh well pull yourself up by your bootstraps who does that no one does that it's, that's not a real thing no no it's really not it's just the same it doesn't no. work and that's actually one of the reasons i actually do it kind of still on my bucket list because i have to get there before i get too old um it was you know it was supposed to happen in nine months but you know we got a little year delay um <laughs> But the um, it's it's true. We don't really have a lot of that here, and it's and it's hard. You know, you can always see the difference in people when they are, when they are a certain way because they treat other people differently. You know, not like they're but they don't treat people like they're beneath them. You know, it's like it's like your mother. She's pissed the fuck off. You know, it's like why you keep fucking doing this to black people. You know, making a, you know, it's almost like you know you make an example every time. You know. Including recently, you know. Speaking of recently, you know, they were they're in they're in trial right now. The three other cops, yeah, the ones who the other three George Floyd police, and um, one of them is trying to say that he was trying to intervene and that Chauvin pushed him away, and um, and tried to help. Try to help. Cameras there, right? Because yeah, yeah, nobody saw that. I don't remember that happening. I don't remember seeing that no. that altruistic, benevolent cop trying to come forward and um, and flex his muscle with Chauvin. I don't remember the two rookies trying to get involved either. But yeah. maybe I didn't see that particular video. I didn't even see their jaw working. You know, like I didn't even see. There's nothing in the video where, like, nothing. There was no. They're leaning on on Chauvin's experience. No, that's why it's just so well okay so so there's that and then there's the whole um ahmed arbery in georgia so they're they've been after less than one day they were convicted on federal hate crimes i think better had done that shit say that again it better had done that i mean that, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. that was you know yeah that finally i mean finally there's something there so I don't know. I don't know. Three steps back, one step forward. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what to do with this country. If you've listened to any of these podcasts, uh, Swan, you'll know that I'm steadfastly trying to find ways to move the fuck out. <laughs> it's like my, my mission in life now is to live the last third of my life in peace and harmony and quiet and beauty around me. None of the strife, none of the sadness, none of the limbo or the purgatory of living as a person of color in Minneapolis um, in general and in the United States and, you know, 
in the yeah. bigger scope of things. She's trying to get out. No. Trying to get out. You know, I mean, like everybody idealizes kind of like, well, Ghana definitely gets put on a pedestal. I mean, it's got its own problems. There's definitely like classism is real in lots of Eastern cultures. And I mean, Ghana and everywhere else is, is no exclusion, right? So if you don't have, you are of the not haves or like, you're just, I don't know, SOL in some situations. Um, I mean, this all comes back to like the whole privilege conversation is where you start out oftentimes determines where you will get, but it doesn't, it's not a determinant. It doesn't mean you can't get further. It doesn't mean you might not fall back harder and farther, but where, but acknowledging where we're starting and acknowledging the limitations that were brought upon us without our, with the, I guess, with us having, having no way of preventing them uh, is a way of forgiving yourself for maybe not getting as far as you wish you would have, but then also plotting a better path forward. And I mean, that's basically what my entire personal brand is about because I struggled with depression. I've had like two major breakdowns in my life. I come from this background of privilege and support and love, but I still had these like moments in life where like I contemplated suicide, but it isn't because of, but it isn't because of where I started because if that was true, I mean, my life would be perfect. So it's about balancing it's about balancing those challenges and finding ways to move forward and see the possibility of a brighter future because if you don't have hope if you don't have hope that things are going to get better you're not going to see the opportunities to make things better it's all about changing perspective so i do a lot of reading about the psychology like positive psychology and the practical applications of it not like shining sunshine up people's asses cuz that's ugh. um i call myself a a evidence-based optimist, but you have to be looking for the evidence to even start to turn your head that direction. So I know things seem dark, but it's about calling bullshit out when you see it, but then holding yourself to account on finding ways to make that better. It's just harder the more jaded you are. And how long have you been doing this? Oh God. Okay. So I'm 37. Um, I started doing like youth support and I don't know, like uh, all this kind of like peer support perception stuff when I was 16, probably in the depth of my first depression episode. And a lot of it was trying to figure out how to heal myself. So a lot of good has come out of a lot of pain. Um, you know, and my, I don't know, like my, my career and like health story is long and roundabout, but that's why, that's why I want to do this podcast. And that's why I started writing and I started posting and started being visible because I think a lot of people need to hear about other people's tough experiences and how things can be better. So where do you, where do you see yourself uh, in the future? What can people expect from it? So I work at a major consulting company, so it's just one international. Um, I'm actually uh, stepping into a role as a diversity and inclusion and equity lead for like the corporate environment that I'm in. Uh, I already, I also have my own consulting firm where I do my own contracts on the side and I'm working with an economic development group that focuses on communities of color 
to help them build their own, um, their own businesses and, you know, start to replenish like these communities that have been depleted and just like, drawn from instead, like creating something of your own is the way to heal communities and help with economic strife. Uh, and then I also want to get involved in this whole biohacking world. If you're familiar with like the bulletproof and, um, Tim Ferriss type of a world. Cause it's a bunch of white guys in their forties and fifties talking about health and well being. I'm like, all right, I'm a like multiracial woman in my late thirties who's been through, like has been a bodybuilder, a boxer. Uh, um, I'm like newly into tennis weight train, like my entire life, like my life depends on it. I know these things and I can help people with them because I think healing your body is also critical to helping to have a more positive outlook and to start to change things around you. If you change things within you. So, um, I'm starting to realize that diversity and inclusion and well-being is my life's work and how that develops, I think has a lot to do with God or the universe or whatever you want to say. I just have to be open and pay attention to the opportunities, but this podcast thing has literally fallen out of people, other people's mouths unprompted so many times that I'm like, okay, I'm listening. Here it comes. <laughs> hey, good for you. You got a, you got an agenda here. I'd say definitely, definitely shoot, shoot that off because I will listen to it. You know? Where are you in the process? Uh, so Jamar and I got together. What was it? Was that last week? Yeah. Last week um, to talk through like that, little mini soundboard playing around with that. Um, not to sound like that spoiled half white girl, but my dad bought me this lit or got me this like hundred dollar podcasting microphone for my birthday this year. Uh, cause he's a good dad. Um, and, uh, yeah, like I have my websites up. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. I just have to get more followers. So it's really just about creating content, mm-hmm. um, and getting over the fact that I don't like to be self-aggrandizing. So I want to make sure that the topics that I bring up and the people that I'm interviewing, that anything, any discussion about me has value forward to other people. Um, that it's it's about like offering lessons and support and optimism uh, with a healthy dose of reality because nobody likes a spoonful of sugar. Like it sounds gross to me. <laughs> Well, that's that's uh, that's a lot of um, of our surroundings here. Spoonfuls of sugar, with a little bit of salt on the bottom of it. <laughs> hey, I'm Swanshine. Okay, just healthy dose of Swanshine. Uh, so remind, remind us all what what the name of your podcast is going. Your upcoming podcast is going to be called. So my personal brand is Unfiltered Reality, or on uh, social media, I'm 2020 Unfiltered Reality. Right. All right. Um, and then, you know, coach Swanshine will be coming at you live. And my website is unfiltered-reality.com. And that's live and available. And I've already done some of my essays out loud, um, on my YouTube channel, which is the ultimate reason I put it on there, but I'll probably post podcasts on there, like the video versions of them as well. Well, this is a good segue into what can folks expect from you for the future? Uh, you know, my, my goal is to make sure that what I'm putting out actually positively affects people's lives. 
uh, I think I've always been a, a bit afraid of focusing too much on attention. I've never really liked that. So you can expect my podcast to be out and you can expect to get me unfiltered because that's how I live my life. Um, yeah. And I, I, I'll figure out what happens with my career, but right now I'm making good money and I'm working for a good company that at least is like trying to do the right things. But no, you know, nobody's perfect, but they're attempting to support things that are important to me and have good value systems. So as long as I can continue to do like work that will support me financially, help me uh, flourish financially and help other people do the same. I mean, I'll just keep trucking forward. So, I mean, it's always going to be me. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. Oh, oh yeah. I see it. And that, and that's that, I hope that is, I hope that, that, that thinking right there, I hope that thinking is, is actually starting to resonate with a lot of these companies right now, especially with people kind of shifting their opinions about work and what it really means versus trying to survive and try to create something better out of, out of that situation, because we're, we're in kind of a shit, a, a shit spot right now with people's faith, with people's earnings, with people's, with humanity right now in this country, you know, everybody's kind of split up and it's, and it's, and it's kind of getting a little old, you know? Yep. Everybody's just so pissed off and it's like, they don't even know why anymore. You know? feels like they have to fragment themselves. And that's how I used, that was basically my entire twenties was like, what part of me is acceptable for this particular situation? Like, yeah. should I straighten my hair for this date? Like, or yeah, like, and like the negative, like kind of code switching where it's like, I'm lobbing off part of myself and leaving it at home because I think that's going to be the best. It's good. That's the best version. Like I work at a company now where I like routinely swear during meetings and they're like, Oh, that's just one. And I have tattoos and I'll wear short sleeve shirts to events and nobody thinks it's weird. They're open about like the diversity initiatives in a, like in a healthy way. I mean, they don't always say the right things, but they at least try. So I'm just going to continue to be in environments that allow me to integrate myself fully instead of being one thing or the other, which kind of loops back to what you were saying earlier is like the reason why I didn't identify when I was younger as black is because it felt like it was like a period. It's like you are black period. But if I said multiracial, it was open-ended. But now I'm at the point now where it's like, I have an essay called Both or Neither. I'm just choosing to be both. Like, hard stop. Right? So like, I am Black and I am white, but I'm also African and I am American. Like, you can't take my and away from me. Right, right, right. Yep. Well, you know, it was interesting. I always used to do these social studies with people when they'd ask me what my ethnicity or my nationality or anything, you know, try to phrase, try to calmly phrase their racism in some way. Right. <laughs> and, um, and, and so I do these tests with them. I'd say, Oh, well, um, my mother's from Brazil and my father is from, from Sweden or my mother is from Cuba and my father is from Florida or, you know, I mean, any number of things just to see how, how their reaction to that would then bring forth how they would deal with me. You know, it was, it was always very interesting. It was always very different. However, however, I managed to, uh, to throw some shit out there that would just kind of blow their minds a little bit. Right. So when I would just say that I'm half black and I'm half white, I'm all American, half black, half white, <laughs> all of a sudden it turned into this, Oh, well, you don't sound black. Oh, well, uh, you know, I mean, just 
So you don't fit into my box is what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't fit into my box. So, I mean, malcontent, you're shaking your head. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I mean, I know, you know, it's just like, it just happens all well, it, 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 happened, it happened all through our youth, most all yeah. of us, you know, we couldn't, you know, being part of the subculture like we were, it was, it was always, there was always going to be an outliner or outlier that would go, hey, hey, where are you from? I'm like, here, I'm from fucking here, because you're the odd man out, you know, there's only three fucking black punk rockers in this fucking town 30 years ago. And, and we're all here. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what my response? I stopped responding to that question after a while. I would just say, what do you mean? And I would play dumb and I'd be like, I'm from, I, I was born in Texas and I was raised in Minnesota. And they'd be like, no, but like, where are you from? And I was like, I grew up here. What do you mean? What are you, what are you trying to say? Like you, I'm just like, and you. just let them marinate and the awkwardness and like inappropriateness of their question. I love that. Yeah. I used to do that one too. It's hilarious to me. They just stare at you at restaurants when you're out, when you're, when you're like, when you're, when you're out past Edina, you know, then they just stare at you now. Like, you can't get past it. What do you mean past Edina? Talk to me about, talk to me about your fucking, talk to me about your fucking Southern dinner, your meatloaf, right? At some Southern restaurant in Edina. What was that Come on. No, Cajun restaurant in Edina, 50th and France that my friend went to go through for a birthday. It is not Cajun. They just have a agent at 50th in France. I call bullshit. Thank you. I knew right away when I walked in the door, I'm like, oh, hell no. These white people done got me up in some bullshit again. No, 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 no. You had to go through the door to find that out. (laughs) It's 50th in France. It's like she, she central. What are you talking about? (laughs) At night and I couldn't see anything at night, you know. Get the fuck out of here. You saw the street. That's what the Karens say. It was night. I couldn't tell he was a nice man. <laughs> I have to You ordered the gumbo. No, no, I thought he ordered the meatloaf. Oh, the meatloaf? I thought he ordered meatloaf. Was it meatloaf gumbo? I had a meatloaf sandwich. <laughs> okay, also, <laughs> that's, that's so Minnesota. Who watered down like spice mix in Minnesota? That's why I I ordered that. I go, this is supposed to be a Cajun restaurant. If they have a meatloaf sandwich, it's got to be the bomb, right? So I ordered it. I'm like, oh my god, they have like Cajun tater tots. Minnesota. They had tater tots. See, they had a they had a they had a Cajun tater tot. You know what? Misread Cajun and actually said Minnesotan thing. They said it on they said it on open table that they were Cajun. <laughs> Damn, dude! Shame on you, open table. Shame on you. Uh, I'm the only black person in there. Shit. Ordering Minnesotan Cajun. Congratulations. Well, we got to wrap it up soon, but thank you, Swan. Swan. Oh, Swan, you'll come back on, won't you? You'll come back on our show. I'll come hang out with y'all. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna check out your website and your and your podcast. Let us know how that's going. Because it sounds fabulous. It sounds like something that is like you said, people need to know that they're not alone. You know. Yep. And uh two years ago, two years ago, these two clown me for not knowing where Ghana was. I know now. How's <laughs> <laughs> go? Africa is like a backwards P and it's at the uh-huh. bottom of the loop. It's yeah. a square. I said I said Diana. <laughs> 
You said yeah. Guyana? Really? Yeah, you did say Guyana. It was just a slip up. Shut up. That's a I'm bad slip That's not even in the same fucking hemisphere. I mean, Shut come up. on now. You can't you can't retell the joke, okay? Oh, cool. Yeah, put me down twice. The wow. fucking already. Wow. My sister's roommate in college was Guyanese. So it was the half Ghanaian girl and the Guyanese girl living in the same apartment. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, you guys are from the same country, and you're like, you're talking Not like the close. woman that looks like Asian and uh, South American somehow looks like the Ghanaian girl. No. 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 Well, great. Redemption. Wishing you the best of luck, Swan. This sounds like a really great endeavor and one that Lord knows we could use and need. I'll certainly be checking it out. Any more pod- more positive. I love it. Love your feedback. And if you have any ideas on topics, uh, I'll have y'all on. Oh, Perfect. We'll, we'll talk about the tough, tough racial issues of the day. Yes. Well, we like to talk shit, you know. <laughs> well, on the podcast, and you'll you'll hear a lot of those ideas coming going through the last three years, um, because there's a lot been going on. If if you ever noticed. <laughs> Can you believe we're in our fourth yeah. season? Because I can't. Oh, I can't boy. believe we've been talking shit for four years. <laughs> going strong. There's a lot of shit going on. So fair oh. enough. All right. I'm Tricky Mickey. I'm Malcolm Tent. I'm Big John. Swan, thank I'm you. For Coach being Swanshine. Swanshine. <laughs> Swanshine. There you go. All right, y'all. Thanks, Have a wonderful night. Yeah. Peace. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.